Hello and welcome to the podcast for the July 2011 issue of The Lancet Oncology. Richard Lane here. In a moment, TLO Deputy Editor Emma Granger is going to run through some of the issue highlights. But just to flag up that the main focus after Emma's summary will be an in-depth interview I did recently with an author of a trial in this month's issue of TLO. And it concerns the treatment of early breast cancer, specifically whether or not there could be any benefit of adding a bisphosphonate called zoledronic acid to hormone therapy for premenopausal women with early breast cancer. But now let's hear from Emma Granger with some of the other highlights from the issue. In addition to the trial that you've just mentioned, a few other papers in the issue. We have a meta-analysis on survival after neoadjuvant chemotherapy and chemoradiotherapy, and that's in patients with resectable esophageal cancer. And we have a paper that looks at the Barcelona staging system and transplant survival benefit in patients with liver cancer. And I'd also like to highlight the COIN trial, which is reported in the issue. Now this trial is published as two separate papers. One paper is published in The Lancet and that shows the comparison of continuous oxaliplatin and fluoropyrimidine chemotherapy versus the same chemotherapy plus cetuximab which is an EGFR inhibitor. And that's in patients as first-line treatment for metastatic colorectal cancer. And the paper that we publish from the COIN trial looks at intermittent versus continuous chemotherapy in this same population. Now, the comparison that the Lancet reports was not significantly different between the two groups, and many people have speculated as to the reasons for these trial findings. They were expected to be positive with a benefit seen for the additional cetuximab. So I would refer listeners to a comment that we published a while ago in the December 2009 issue of the Lancet Oncology, and that was by Dr Richard Kim, and he speculated that perhaps the fluoropyrimidine backbone could be important because it differed in the COIN trial with some patients being allowed to have capecitabine, and it was thought that perhaps the capecitabine had a detrimental effect. Now, the COIN trial itself has a very complicated design, as you probably understand from the previous summary, and I've heard it described as that COIN should stand for complicated in interpretation, and I think that really sums up very well the difficulty in understanding these results from this very important trial. Now, briefly, I'd just like to mention a couple of other highlights, and these include the editorial that looks at cancer survivorship, and we have two comments one that discusses treatment of multiple myeloma and one that looks at the difficulties in assessing response in lymphoma and a personal view on harmonising studies of cognitive function. So please do look at these and other papers in this month's issue. Many thanks indeed, Emma. But now let's hear from our in-depth interview. I conducted this with Professor Michael Nant at the Medical University of Vienna in Austria. And he is one of the authors of an important trial in this month's issue of TLO concerning the treatment of early breast cancer in premenopausal women. Professor Michael Nant, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet Oncology. What questions were you hoping to answer in this study, and what was your rationale for using the bisphosphonate zoledronic acid? Well, the initial idea of ABCSG12 was to compare tamoxifen with an astrosol, an aromatase inhibitor, in premenopausal breast cancer patients with endocrine-responsive breast cancer. The Austrian Breast Cancer Study Group has a long tradition in exploring endocrine treatment approaches rather than chemotherapy in younger women, which is uh, unusual in some parts of the world, particularly the U.S. And we had a predecessor trial where we identified that tamoxifen together with uh, ovarian function suppression would be equally effective or even better than chemotherapy. The next step was now, uh, can we improve on this? And can we use an aromatase inhibitor 
basically mirroring the British ATAC trial that was done in postmenopausal women. So the initial idea was to compare ovarian function suppression together with tamoxifen versus anastrozole. And then we became concerned in the late 90s when actually the trial was planned what that intervention would do to the bone health of these young women. And so we came across bisphosphonates, and we also learned that bisphosphonate had preclinical anti-cancer activity. So we decided to eventually try to answer two questions in one trial, the endocrine question, aromatase inhibitor versus tamoxifen, as well as the bisphosphonate question, both in terms of protecting bone, but also in terms of exploring potential anti-cancer effects of solidronic acid. And before we discuss the main results from the study, Professor Nant, can you just uh, briefly outline the methodology? It's a two-by-two factorial design, isn't it? It is a two-by-two factorial design. That means that, in essence, there are four treatment arms. By setting it up statistically as a two-by-two factorial design, you can save on the number of patients needed to answer the question. And it means that this allows you to compare two equally important questions. First, is there a difference in outcome between adjuvant tamoxifen versus adjuvant anastrozole? Second, is there a difference between adding solidronic acid to this endocrine treatment versus not adding this? And this is exactly what we did. Thank you very much. And do go on and talk through the main results from the study. The main result from the study, and I'm now addressing both questions, the first is we did not find a difference between anastrozole and tamoxifen. This was so in the initial report and also now in the long-term update. However, for the bisphosphonate questions, we found that the six-monthly use of solidronic acid at a dose of 4 milligrams just twice a year would reduce the risk for relapse by more than one-third. So the relative risk reduction in terms of hazard ratio, is 35%. And this translates into a strong trend for an improvement in overall survival as well. And this was, you know, spectacular in terms of somewhat unexpected that we would observe such a huge benefit for an intervention which was until then believed to be bone protective but not uh, necessarily related to improved oncology outcome. Thank you very much. And the Azure trial did not find a significant difference among those given zolotronic acid. So um, how should that be interpreted, do you think? Clearly, when that result became public uh, last December, there was some disappointment in the field. However, I believe that the Azure trial actually confirms what ABCSG12 has shown. The reason for this is that what Professor Coleman and his colleagues uh, reported is that in the Azure results, there is an unusual heterogeneity in terms of the bisphosphonate effect between postmenopausal women and their premenopausal women. So that allows, in terms of statistical power, to actually address these questions. And this heterogeneity between two cohorts within the trial, I have to say, in the clinical trial business in breast cancer since 20 years, but I have never seen such heterogeneity with the exception of smallish trials with 20 patients or something like this. So there must be a biological differentiator behind that. And we have sat down together with the SU investigators and discussed this, and I believe that there is a very good hypothesis to explain these, at first sight, disparate results, which they are not. Because obviously, for the bisphosphonate to exert its adjuvant anti-tumor effect, you have to get rid of the estrogen. 
This happens by nature in the postmenopausal patients in SUR, and this is done in terms of the treatment intervention of ovarian function suppression in the premenopausal patients in, the, in ABCSG12. The biologic explanation for this is that obviously dormant tumor micrometastases in the bone marrow microenvironment are the target of this intervention, and they can be stimulated both with estrogen but also with bone marrow-derived growth factors. In order to actually achieve a clinical benefit, we obviously have to address both of these stimuli and get rid of them in terms of reducing estrogen, either because these patients are after menopause or because we take out the, their estrogen by ovarian function suppression at least for a while. In the premenopausal subset of Assure, where solidronic acid did not show a benefit and if anything, maybe a trend to even be harmful, these patients they are have functioning ovaries, at least at the beginning of the treatment. This is in the presence of estrogen. Clearly, I have to say this is hypothesis because we found this post hoc explanation for the results we observed in large clinical trials. But I believe it falls very well into our current thinking about the interaction between dormant tumor stem cells in bone marrow and the bone marrow microenvironment, which might eventually, if we understand these things a little bit better, and there's a lot of research going on, hopefully bring us closer to a cure of early breast cancer. Indeed. So returning to the results from your study, how should we interpret your findings? What are the implications for clinical practice, given the result that you've got with uh, zoledronic acid, the addition of zoledronic acid? Well, my interpretation is that there is, in fact, now taken all of these clinical trial results together, there is level one evidence that in the absence of estrogen, adjuvant solidronic acid, in fact, reduces relapse and even risk of death after breast cancer in endocrine-responsive patients. The logistic problem we face is that there is probably never going to be a label or a regulatory approval for this approach. The reason for this being that uh, we detected this anti-cancer effect in the final third of the life cycle of this class of agents. Basically, there was never really regulatory trial set up. This is kind of a tragedy. However, the implication of these results, they in fact go well beyond an individual drug because they have greatly helped us in our understanding of the importance of host factors particularly factors in the bone marrow microenvironment. While we were carried away with studying the tumor cells just by themselves, we actually learned that it's equally important, uh, probably also in the future with other approaches, to try to target the microenvironment according to more than a century-old hypothesis, which uh, was first published by Sir Stephen Paget in The Lancet in the year 1889 and is now known as seed and soil hypothesis. It's a great research, and in fact, uh, Sir Stephen, even back then, very British, very fair, he was quoting the original inventor of that idea, which was just by chance uh, an ophthalmologist from Vienna. Well, it's a very interesting and very important study. So, Professor Michael Nant on the line from Vienna, many thanks indeed for talking to the Lancet Oncology. My pleasure. Well, that's all for this month. Many thanks for listening. Thanks to Emma. Thank you very much, Richard. And thanks earlier to Professor Michael Nant. See you next month.